This is Kari Gale. And this is Tony Critz. Welcome to the Pilgrim Lost Podcast, a space for those who wander and wonder. <laughs> Good morning, Tony. Welcome back to the United States of America. It's good to be here. It's good to be here. I'm I'm so thrilled to say that I missed the heat apocalypse uh 2021 it was like 80 degrees in kenya and you guys oh. were like 115 here so i was yeah it's good to be home and you got back last week right i did i got back um monday night monday night late yeah okay and you were gone for what three four weeks two and a half weeks oh man it felt longer it felt longer i missed you tony <laughs> that's that's nice of you to say <laughs> I, I'm so curious about a lot of aspects of your travel and your trip, which we should get to definitely here on this pod, because I think everyone is curious about the world of travel and what's going on in, in, in all of those things. Because I think most of us, including myself, are, we're, we're excited. Things seem to be opening up again, but there is this, this you know, trepidation. There's a fear of, of especially traveling internationally. So very curious to hear some of your experiences. Yes. Can I, can I tell you what, what I'm drinking this morning? Please do. I am drinking medicine. Literal medicine? Unquote. Well, you can decide for yourself, but this is, it was referred to as medicine. John Watanga, who was my Kenyan partner, my cameraman, my sidekick, my buddy in Kenya, he would drink every day uh, hot ginger lemon and honey and he referred to his medicine he said you should drink it every day that it'll it'll keep you healthy he said it's, it's he called it kenyan medicine so that's what i'm drinking this morning did he did he actually get it is it is it i mean because that seems like a, it's a fairly kind of old world tea lemon honey hot water you know but usually i throw whiskey in there <laughs> Right. Well, then, you know, it's 10 o'clock in the morning, so there's no whiskey in it, uh, but there's ginger. The ginger gives it a nice little kick zing. Yes. I've been drinking lately uh, a ginger turmeric tea, which I actually find really good. And nice. uh, turmeric is supposed to help with is has anti-inflammatory properties. And, uh, you know, those of us getting well, you've seemed the... inflamed lately. So that's that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that lovely compliment. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, you missed me. Okay. Um, and you've been all right this I've last. Been good. Yeah, yeah. We su I survived the 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 crazy weather, and uh, luckily, I have my boyfriend has uh, air conditioning. My mom has air conditioning, so I just sort of roved through the traveled to the various places that I could sit in the air conditioning and get through it. And um, yeah, I went into my tiny. Uh, you know, I grabbed some stuff from my tiny at one point on Monday and uh, the floors were literally so warm. They felt like they, they had, you know, the, you have those floors that can, that are, have water run under, underneath mm -hmm. it. So it keeps it, mm -hmm. keeps it warm. These were like, these were like almost to the point where it, if I put my foot in the sunshine on the floor, the floor was so warm. It was too hot. It was crazy. It was, it was unbelievably crazy. I, I have not experienced that kind of heat. I lived in Arizona when I was a 
a teenager for one year and we were, we experienced one summer in Arizona and that was enough to cause my parents to pick up and leave. We were literally there for one year and I just remember that heat and it just, it took me back. So I'm, I don't know if that's, what's, what's going to happen in these summers to come, but uh, I definitely was looking up air conditioning and air conditioning options for my tiny house. Speaking of which you have just had an anniversary. I did. Yes. Three three year anniversary, as I recall. Yes. uh, Three years to the day on, uh, it was June 23rd that I had my housewarming party, moved in the night before, literally the night before. Into your tiny house. Yeah. And so it was, it was interesting to sort of reflect on that. I did that in the last uh, blog for Pilgrim Lost, just sort of chronicling how, really how pilgrimage was was the inspiration um, to moving me towards the, the tiny house lifestyle. And um, so I wrote a little bit about that. Uh, did you have a chance to read it? I did, in fact. I, I did and uh, loved it. I encourage everyone to go and read it, to drink it in, all that, uh, all that you share. There's a lot in there about sort of philosophy of life and how tiny home is, is really just an instrument. It's not, you know, it's not so much a, you should live in a tiny house blog. It's a, there are these values that we need that that you found that you, that you want to wrap your life around and the tiny homes become an instrument to implementing some of those. So I thought it was great. It's interesting in the aspect that uh, I feel like when folks go on pilgrimage, I feel like it's this it's almost like the the rock that gets dropped in the pond and there's these ripples that flow out of pilgrimage and you don't know what they are. It could be, it could be immediate, you know, folks that you might've met on your, on your Camino that were making a huge change and they were going to make a change immediately after the Camino, they were going home, they were going to quit their job or they were going to, or they were in the midst of some big change. And then there were other folks that didn't necessarily have a big change that was happening. They were experiencing it. But I think the effect for me was, it was several years later. It wasn't until, you know, I was traveling again in 2016 that some of those values of the pilgrimage came through because I was, I was traveling again and they were kind of re rebirthing in me as it were. And so I kind of feel like there's a lot of things that happened out of, out of pilgrimage that can be a ripple that you don't necessarily know until years later that uh, will affect your life in significant ways. Uh, so I think sometimes, and we, you and I have talked a little bit about this, people will have this idea that they have to have, they're going on this epic journey and they have to have something, something happen or some revelation. And right. that's not always the case. It's not always the case. There were two pieces of your blog that stood out to me. One was the theme of freedom, particularly mm-hmm. financial freedom, that um, money money didn't need to own you anymore. You didn't have to make your decisions because uh, you had all these monthly bills, basically, that you have to maintain. Yeah. yeah. And how freedom changes the equation in that sense, uh, living with living with less. I remember um, I, I was in uh, Nairobi and we're, we're driving down this, you know, four lane, you know, thoroughfare going through town, which is really like a 12 lane thoroughfare because nobody pays any attention to lanes and it's hysterical driving. I mean, 
I've been all over the world. We've seen driving, but Nairobi's particularly cool. I mean, it's a laws or suggestions. It's all a big dance. And wow. um, they don't use their horns to say bad, which is interesting. They say yeah. they use their horns to say hello. Oh. So uh, like if I want to move over three lanes, I just turn. It doesn't matter if there's a hole there. I just turn oh in the midst of traffic and everyone else just kind of goes, oh, hello. And it's just like a little dance and you kind of come dancing through the, the dance floor and everyone goes, okay, we're backing off. We're letting, you know, it was a hysterical fantastic. Anyway, driving down this thoroughfare and there's this big bus, all the buses are privately owned, you know, the little privately owned buses that follow the routes. And on the back of the bus in gigantic letters, it says, it said, I kid you not, live under your budget was what it said on the back of the, the back of the bus. So anyway, this idea of freedom and uh, making good choices, I don't that was random. You and know then, what that actually makes me think of is it's like a person with their budget, like laying on top of them. Yeah. Like, yeah. So it's, but I, I turned to my, I turned to my, the guy driving the car and I was like, good advice. And he's good like, advice. That is good advice. <laughs> it's good advice. And I was like, okay. And then the other thing was this idea that, um, that you just, you need less. Like, you know, you mentioned that you, every item that you own, you interact with on a regular basis, you know, compared to the American way, which is, I can't park my car in the garage because my garage is so full of things I never use, you know, <laughs> it's sort of the American way. And I thought those were two interesting ideas that whether or not you live in a tiny home, I think are pretty applicable to anybody. Absolutely. And that, that really is sort of, if I had, if I had a, a, advice or a mantra coming out of tiny house living, because I totally, and I wrote this in my blog, I don't, I don't think it's for everyone for sure. You know, families, large families. I mean, honestly, I've, I've said this several times. Most people, when they, they, one of the questions, I had a few questions that people ask me on the blog and I responded how I, how I, how I do respond to them, but I wouldn't probably live in my tiny house. No, I can actually say I wouldn't live in my tiny house with another person. And that's pretty shocking to people like, well, aren't you, that's your thing. And I'm like, well, for me, it's really perfect right now, right now in this phase of my life. And so for lots of people, it's not going to be a, a good fit for them, literally. <laughs> and so, but those things that you said, the idea of really connecting with the things that you have and making sure what you own is something that you're using and, um, and then really allowing yourself to like, my, my aunt has a great phrase and she releases things, you know, releasing. Sometimes people get caught up in the side of get, getting rid of it or throwing it away, but like releasing it, whether it's to, you know, the goodwill or someone else that can use it, but really kind of keeping that idea in your head that, that, that you're even, you're even, I try to think of this idea that everything I own is, it's not really mine, right? It's this, this kind of moving through this space, right? So I get to use this space for a moment in time and I'm really enjoying it and loving it. But if I'm not, I need to release it. So someone else can hopefully do that. And um, yeah, I do think that's applicable to everyone. Yeah. And we do, not everybody needs to live in a tiny house, but we do have a space addiction that we need to, we need to deal with in America. Um, I read an article 10 years ago that in the last generation, the amount of square footage that a family of four lives in has doubled. So a generation ago, a family of four lived in something like 17 
1650, 1700 square feet. And today the average family of four lives in over 3000 square feet or something like that. And in one generation, we've, what we thought was normal now has doubled our, our normal is double. And today, today in England, the average family of four lives in like 1300 square feet today. And in America, we're just like, I need more. I need a bigger hat. I need a bigger horse. I need a bigger house. You know, it's just like everything's <laughs> got to be bigger. And it's like, but you it really have, have people be... that need bigger horses. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was trying to, I don't know. But uh, this, this size, I think, uh, you know, we're definitely compensating. Mm, mm, look at that. <laughs> well, I'm going to do a no comment on that. And I, I think the thing too is, I mean, when you, when you look at the tiny house sort of um, trend and excitement around it, uh, I talk a little bit, I, I was talking a little bit in the blog, but more so this idea of uh, a lot of people look at the lifestyle and they, they're very attracted to this idea and they're coming from that big, you know, their, their large home that they've had and they, they like the idea of it, but moving from one place to another, moving from that kind of, I've amassed a lot of stuff to really stripping down and, and letting go, releasing enough things that they can fit into a tiny house. That's a huge journey. And I was really lucky in that, I mean, lucky, maybe that's not the best term to use, but I came from the opposite way where I hadn't thought about a tiny home, but I just started getting rid of stuff because of what was going on in my life, my divorce. And then I decided to travel. And so by the time I reached the point of saying, wow, a tiny house, that might work really well for me. I had nothing uh, to, to, you know, prevent me from that. I, I had a few boxes. So I came about it really, I think in, in a more, more, maybe a more natural way versus I like this idea and this lifestyle, it's attractive to me. And now I have to let go of all of these things in order to, to be able to fit <laughs> into it. And I think that's what happens with a lot of folks, especially with, because there's so many shows and, you know, we're seeing it all the time is this sort of trendy thing. I'd be curious what's going to happen in five to 10 years in, in, in the idea of, of whether it's still very popular or if it's, if it's, you know, cause you know, I was on the show with Bryce and one of the things that about living, living big, big in a <laughs> tiny house on YouTube, living big in a tiny house, Kari Gale, go check it out. <laughs> uh, he one of the things that they do is they follow up after because a lot of the folks are on there you'll notice when they interview them they've just moved in right. or they've been living there three months right and so it's always interesting when they think they should have a follow-up show of three right. years later five years right. later are people still living there what do they think about it i think yeah. that's a really interesting uh point that a lot of people we haven't heard that yeah, yeah. so here's my question for you have you, have you gotten it out of your system? Are you, are you done with this phase? I'm so glad you were in the, you know, make sourdough bread phase or whatever it is, your tiny home phase you've been in. Have you got to understand now, Cara, you're approaching years old and um, it's about time that you, uh, you act like an adult human, don't you think? And get out of this living in a clubhouse. Aren't you, is, aren't you, haven't you outgrown it by now? Well, hopefully Respond. I'm done growing. Hopefully I'm done growing. I hope, I hope I don't have any more inches to gain. Uh, it's, you know, it's, I know you're, you're mostly joking there, but it is funny because I, I think just those aspects that you said are applicable to everyone. Those are things that I think I will take with me permanently. 
And so the idea, I don't necessarily have this concept that I won't ever, I, I think I'll live in a, in a normal size house again at some point. And, uh, but the way I do it will be very, very different. I, I don't think that, I think there are aspects of, of tiny house living that will, that will always be with me. Um, it's still, you know, it, again, it will depend on my life phase and where I'm, you know, what I'm doing and, you know, maybe there's going to be a day when I do want to live with another person. And as I said, that, that wouldn't happen in my tiny. So I, I don't know. Uh, but I don't feel like it's a something, it's a, it's a, it's a phase. I think it's just a time and a place. Maybe a season is a better way to say it. Maybe a season, this is a season I'm in. And, um, but I do love simplicity and I do, I do feel like, here's the thing. I talked a lot about minimalism on there. I think I am a permanent min minimalist. Ooh, that's hard to say. Permanent minimalist. Uh, I think that will always be with me. So however I, wherever I am, whatever place I, I live, it will, there'll be aspects of minimalism within that, uh, within that, that space. Yeah. And, um, I don't think, I mean, you could go back through two seasons of podcasting and I don't think we've ever been absolutists. You know, even as we talk about a lifestyle of pilgrimage involves, you know, all these different aspects of, you know, physical health and mental health and psychological health and relational health and all this sorts of stuff. I don't know that we have a lot of hard and fast rules. And in that, I mean, even right now, as you often do, you're recording this podcast from your boyfriend's house. You're not, you're not in the, the tiny house partially because he's got better um, internet signal, but you know, has having a place to retreat to, you know, as that does, do you think that that's make, you know, part of why you're still into the tiny house or do you, I mean, just as a straight question? No, I think that, I think that's absolutely true. The fact that, especially during COVID, I mean, I was over here half, you know, for several weeks at a time when we first started with COVID because being isolated in a 200 foot square space is, is pretty intense. And so being that I, I had, you know, the privilege, the luxury of going to someone else's home absolutely has, has made tiny house living more palatable. So right. I get to pick and choose it to some degree. I'm not just there. So I absolutely think that that has affected how I feel about it because mm -hmm. it's made it uh, honestly, more of a choice that I get to make on a more, you know, on a, on a weekly basis, like how much time I spend there. So I feel that, you know, if I was exclusively, especially the other thing too, is I live on a property that has another house on it with folks that I love. And I interact with right. on a, on a weekly basis. Right. If I was in a tiny house, for example, in a remote area in the country, perhaps by myself, I don't know that I would be as excited about it. I mean, there's so many aspects of our personality and who we are that really play into what we like, where we, you know, do we live, are we urban dwellers? Are we, are we, do we love the country? What kind yeah. of, you know, there's so many things that play into it. And I just feel like in a beautiful way, my, my living situation really is, you know, pretty perfect for me and, and how I get to be with people, but have my own space. And so yeah. Uh, yeah. So all of those factors play into it. So, you know, if I was in a different situation, I might have gone one year and said, this is enough for me, <laughs> you know, cause I'm also very social and I like interaction and, and, 
um, for some folks, the way, where they find a space or a, a lot to put their tiny home is, is many times outside of a city. And so they're a little bit more um, just isolated. So it's, uh, it's definitely, there's lots of factors to it. Yeah. And in the in this, in religious studies, there's a there's a sub there's a sub study called sacramentalism, and sacramentalism is simply um, within a religious system. What are the behaviors or ceremonies that are deemed holy or particularly important to um, this particular type of life, this particular religious life, spiritual life? And there are arguments about how many sacraments are there in each of the religious systems and blah, blah, blah. And some people think there should just be a few. And some people think there should be 12 or seven or whatever. And there's these big arguments. Entire books are written on the topic of sacramentalism and what it is. And yet I've just been convinced, particularly from reading a lot of the desert mothers and fathers, which are deeply spiritual people who tended to live away from society or, or counter society in one way or another. Uh, there was really a movement towards um, everything was sacrament. Mm. Everything was sacrament, like to move into a life where everything is seen as meaningful. And I imagine when you work your way through your tiny house and you've taken such care to choose each item that's there. I mean, I was thinking about your frying pan this morning, which is a beautiful frying pan. I mean, it's just, it's a piece of art, but um, I'm just, I'm just imagining all of the cooking utensils you don't have. And you chose that one and it sits out on your stove and your sister gave it to you and you see it when you wake up in the morning. And I just imagine that it has for for you, it has meaning, it has story. And then, you know, you can probably go through your whole tiny house and kind of go, okay, this is why this is, this is sacramental to me. This is meaningful. That's why I keep these seven books on my little tiny desk next to me. And this is why I kept, you know, whatever. Is that true? Does that sound, does that ring true? It's very true. It's very true. And actually I was getting like little, little chills on the back of my neck, as you said that, because you put into words something that I really haven't had, haven't been able to, I've been, I've been saying the, all these things are so important to me, but the way that you just phrased that right now is, is, is very poignant because it's true. Every single thing has, has a story or a memory or there isn't anything that I have kept. And I, I, I have a little bit of a, a reputation in my family for being a person that gets rid of things because I have been extreme in this way. And, you know, we all have things that are handed down to us by family members or friends. And, you know, there are certain things that you absolutely love. They're so meaningful to you. And there are other things like maybe a piece of furniture that you had and you have it stuck in the corner and, you know, auntie so-and-so gave it to you and you feel like you should take it. So you do. And I've never been that person. I've not ever taken anything that I didn't really want. And so it's given me, I've really had to exercise my ability to say, no, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> but what it means on the antithesis of that is that everything I have, I love. And so if you see something in my home, for example, that you gave me or, you know, you know, I'm, I have it not, not there because I should have it. And I'm hoping that you'll see it when you come over and notice it <laughs> and say, oh, she has that thing. It's, it's because I really do love it. And, and part of that aspect of, of feeling that way is that if I give something to someone else, it's totally yours to do with as you please either keep it, let go of it. It's, it's truly a gift. And then I, and then I'm going to get, give it right. to you and not think about it again. Right. That sacrament 
Um, I, I wish that other folks would be able to hold that, hold that idea in their head as well. But I know it's hard because I feel a lot of folks feel like it's sort of a duty or a, a loyalty to keep things that other people give them. And somehow right. I've, I've been able to let go of that. And honestly, the tiny house is a really good, um, uh, excuse as it were, I just don't have room. So, right. Right. uh, but ultimately, yeah, I love, I love that you said that. Well, regardless of whether or not people are religious, and we've talked about this before, that most people who do the Camino, even though the Camino is a historically religious experience, today, the vast majority of people really don't associate it with any sort of religious or overtly organized spiritual something to them. It's, right. it's an experience. It's an adventure. It's a holiday. It's a lot of things. But everybody who goes, regardless of your background, they, tr they experience sacramentalism because mm -hmm. everything everything is ceremony. You know, you wake up in the dark and you get up and you've already said the night before you've set out everything in a certain way and a certain ceremony so you can get to it in the dark. And uh, you have to sit and you have to, you have to attend to your feet and you take your feet through a ceremony as you prepare to go. And then you dress in a certain way. And then every day you repack your bag a certain way and a ceremony. So you know exactly where everything is and you can get to it. Then you go downstairs and you have a way of leaving the building. And then for me, I had a way of leaving town. I went through a process every time I walked out of each town for 29 days, I, I played the same song and that song would put my body into a spiritual hypnotic state because I taught my body that this is something that I want. This is I want to want to start my day. And just so everybody knows, it was a song from The Greatest Showman. It wasn't like <laughs> something super like I wasn't like listening to Ave Marie or anything. It was it was this, <laughs> it just was a song that I loved about becoming yourself. Become yourself. Was, was it this is me? This is me. And um you know, so everything, and that's true just all day long while you're walking and how you greet people and everything. And um, you came back from that, those experiences. And one of the things that you did is you found yourself being more sacramental, even though you had a tendency towards getting rid of things your whole life, you found yourself even more sacramental than you'd ever been before. You wanted things to be meaningful. You wanted your system to be meaningful. You know, there's, um, there's, a, there's a need for you to be neat and organized in your tiny house you'd never experienced before because quite frankly you just can't have clutter there's not room for piles there's not you know it's and a pile you can't you can't leave the room and pretend like it's not there like, no, you can't so, i have tried and it doesn't work so uh, there's a lot of ceremonies around you know before i go to bed i make sure everything is put away and neat and ready for the next morning you know you're doing these very sort of pilgrim things every day as part of your life and i imagine that's all very meaningful and none of us are exempt from that agreed agreed you know the i have I've made ceremony about how I walk down my stairs. I've tried to make ceremony about how I make coffee in the morning for my wife and I. I try and make ceremony out of things. And it's it's available if we would just stop and go, okay, this can be meaningful to me. This can be spiritual in the universal sense of the term. It can be spiritual. Mm -hmm. And um, so I just think all that stuff's really important. I love it. I And... I love how you just gave me a new perspective on all of that because all of that's very true. And there is a, um, and I do find when we start to uh, do things with that idea of sacrament and ceremony, we, we enter into it in a, just a different way. Our headspace is just different. It, it's not something I have to do every day. It's something I'm choosing to do. 
I get to do this. I'm, I'm making time to do these things. And, uh, and every time that we add a little bit of that ceremony or a little of that sacrament to something that maybe was a chore in the past, it becomes, it becomes different. It be, it changes how we feel about it. Right. Yeah. And just to add one more thought, um, for our whole community and for us, um, those sorts of ceremonializing, if that's a term, of life, sacramentalizing of life, whatever, um, it's difficult to do because we have habits. We are ways we're used to living. And quite frankly, when left to ourselves, we tend towards lazy. We tend towards the path of least resistance. That's kind of a law of nature. But changes are more easily happen in times of transition at hinge points in our life. So you coming back from the Camino was a profound hinge point. You'd left your job, you'd left your marriage, you'd uh, gotten rid of a bunch of stuff, you kind of were starting over in a very real way as an adult woman. And you could go, okay, what kind of life? It's we do it when we move. Like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start some things. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a different kinds of friends. I wanna, I wanna add these elements of health to my life because I moved. When I go off to college, when I, you know, there's these natural hinge points that make it easier to begin to implement meaning and intention into our life. And I just like to point out we're at one right now. The 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 world is coming back alive. And we've just come through a very, very, we've just come through a prison mm-hmm. where we're all being released from prison in a very, very real way. Um, 40, 41% of adults, um, 40, 40 something percent of adults uh, are stating fresh and new ways that they're depressed or they're experiencing anxiety. Um, almost uh, over 50% of people between the age of 18 and 24 have struggled with thoughts of a suicide. Um, uh, 40 something percent of adults are uh, on average or 30 pounds heavier than they were before COVID began. Um, 10% are over 60 pounds heavier uh, than they were. I mean, there's just these things that have happened and we've all sort of been, we've all been like reacting really, really poorly in so many ways. And it's time to set things on a better path. It really, now's the time. Now's the chance. Now's time to return to relational health and connecting with people and the taste of food cooked by someone else, you know, and Mm -hmm. just these simple things that are so delightful. Um, and this would be a great time for all of us to sort of begin to think sacramentally again. And I, I'm sorry, I keep using that word. Anybody who's offended by it, I'm sorry, but I, it's, it's really is a universal word and, um, uh, or ceremonially again, you know, about life and meaning. And in that, in that process, I've just noticed this in myself this past few weeks where life is opening up again. I, I have lots of social things on the calendar again, and there has been this, uh, sort of, I've struggled to, to engage in the same way. And I I don't have the capacity to do the same amount of social things I used to do. And there is sort of this division in me. There's part of me thinking, I, I need to just get out there and do it. And, and there's this other part of me that I want to listen to, which is this rhythm isn't right for me anymore. And to pay attention to that. So 
I think we, because we have availability to do all these things again, or we're starting to, there is this sort of, uh, feeling that we, again, that should feeling of, I need to take, take part in all these things, almost that FOMO because we haven't had it for so long. And to be able to say, no, I, I actually need a weekend alone because I don't have the capacity to, to do this. And so I think it's important that we allow ourselves to listen to our bodies and our hearts and not get pulled into this sort of the rhythm that we had prior, because it might not be the right rhythm for you anymore. Yeah. I mean, treat your social life like your frying pan. Like you don't have six frying pans anymore. You have one frying pan and it's beautiful and it's out and it has meaning and it has purpose and you know exactly why you have it. And you don't have to say yes to all six social engagements this week. You know, choose the one that has meaning and ceremony and import and, you know, you know, nourishes your whole self. It's not just busyness to stay busy or because I should go or, you know, I want to be known as a sociable person or whatever, whatever motivation we have. No, go, no, this is this is the thing that's meaningful. I'm going to do this one. Yeah, exactly. Well, I want to switch, switch gears just a little bit. Uh, so to what? About meaningful. Uh, I want to talk, I want to hear about Kenya. I've not actually talked to you about Kenya. Yeah. Well, so but first of all, tell yeah. for our listeners um, in our community, what were you, what exactly were you doing in Kenya? Cause it isn't something you're just like, I'm going to go to Kenya for a while. Yeah. So so one of the one of my hats is I'm a filmmaker and I've I've participated in making hundreds of films over the last few years. Hundreds might be an exaggeration, but a lot of films. And uh, there's an organization that works in Kenya that saw a bunch of our work that that we do, our filmmaking for different nonprofits and stuff. And they came to us and said, we have a storytelling problem. We've um we've been giving people statistics about how we are helping the world and statistics. I were just, I'm kind of convinced that statistics don't move people. And I was like, yes, you're right. Cause film is the lingua franca of the 21st century. And um, you don't, when you, when you use statistics and plans and spreadsheets and corporate um, newsletters, you're speaking to people's heads. But when you tell stories, uh, you speak to their heart. You have to speak to people's hearts if you want to move them. So anyway, they said, well, we'd love to go do this. We don't have a lot of money, blah, blah, the whole thing. It always happens. And so um, I was asked if I would go and I said, I'll go under one condition. I'll go if I can take my 15 year old with me. And they said, yes. And um, while it was a job, uh, I think by the time all said and done, what I got paid for the job is about going to pay for the trip. And so it ended up just being sort of a free trip and at the end of the day. But um, I went with my son and uh, we hired a Kenyan crew, two guys, two really neat men um, over there who worked with us and ran the camera and ran, ran sound. And I got to travel. We got to travel all over the country. We got to go. We were in Nairobi a lot, but we got to go all the way to the extreme north, all the way up by the Sudan border up in the Sahara and drove in a land cruiser across the desert for three hours to literally the middle of nowhere on the border with Uganda, the border of Sudan and uh, just in the middle of nowhere. And these little tiny villages where this organization has dug wells and started schools and done medical clinics and um, 
these people who live, I mean, it's, Kari, I've, I've seen a lot of the world. I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen the isolation. I mean, these folks who, they live in a little tiny hut. When I say a little tiny hut, I'm talking about a hut the size of a Volkswagen Beetle. I mean, little hut for a family of however many and animals. And no two huts are within a kilometer of each other. Like total isolation, wow. nothing around, you know. Sometimes it's just a handful of large, tr like bushes, trees, something um, that you can see, and the rest of it's just desolate. And people just, I don't even know how they survive. And yet, everywhere I went, I, it was shocking, particularly the really desolate areas. It was shocking that there was nothing but hope. Wow. Nothing but we are lucky. We are so well taken care of. God, God is taking care of us. Um, we have, we, we are so blessed. Our life is wonderful. Our future is bright. We're hopeful for our children. And um, I mean, when I talk about tiny house, I mean, these are people who probably everything they own can fit inside a grocery bag. And they're so joyful and wow. hopeful and content. And to walk away and to, to leave America, which is just the, the breeding ground of cynicism and, criti and critical minds and discontent um, and always wanting more and to experience. Um, I once heard that the opposite of more is enough. The opposite of more is enough. And to, to be with people who they just were, they just believed they had enough and that their enough was enough uh, to sustain them and take care of them. And the joy of having a water well just 10 kilometers away. I just have to walk 10 kilometers each way to get water. Wow. Like, I'm, we are so, can you, they'd be like, can you believe it? It's just 10 kilometers to water. And so I walk every morning and I get water for my family. That's so great. We're so lucky. You know, it's just like, okay. You know, and um, so that was the work. The work was running around with the camera and filming and interviewing people. And uh, my son was great. He's a member of the crew. He worked his butt off. Uh, he ran the drone. We have unbelievable drone footage of the Sahara and the city and uh, the countryside. And it's beautiful, just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful and stark and surprising and um and then we got to play we got to play for a few days we got to you know do a little safari action we took a hot air balloon over the over the safari and wow yeah it was that was pretty fun how was it to so i know you in the past you take your sons on these trips like you just kind of you you have three sons and had since your middle child yes. and you've taken malachi um i think you took him down to peru yes and, i did and and so we we, was, we built a couple houses and then we and then with your help we walked into Machu Picchu, hiked hiked through the Andes and walked into Machu Picchu. Pretty great. Which these th these trips I think are so brilliant. I just think uh, it's such a wonderful thing that you're getting to have this one on one connection with your with your kids. Right. How was it to to because we we uh, what well I don't know a couple months ago we had a we had um, our friend Michael talk about traveling exactly. with, you know with his his child. And I'm so curious, sort of your thoughts and perspective of like thinking about that and 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 what that meant to you. 
Yeah. So I thought of, of Michael Turner several times on the trip and that, and that podcast we had with him in the, in the subsequent blog, where he was talking about traveling with his son and having life-changing experiences together. And, um, I also thought about our, our one, our wanderlust episode and how satiating it was to get out of the country. Thank the Lord, uh, to f- go see and taste and experience, you know, all this wonder and beauty and diversity. Um, but as far as, uh, I mean, absolutely the highlight of the trip was spending every day with my son and, you know, I always had these delusions of grandeur that, you know, we're going to sit and over dinner every night, we're going to, we're going to talk through the 12 most important topics of becoming an adult, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and, and it never really happens. And even when we get into kind of, you know, semi-serious, what are you going to do with your life or whatever kinds of conversations, those that often last five minutes. And then, you know, we're off on talking about, you know, how great it is to eat goat and how goat is so tasty, you know, whatever. And we're just off on the thing, you know, or, you know, can you believe how close that line got to the car today? Uh, and, you know, that's what we're talking about. But um, the experience of being together and quite frankly, um, in, in a world today that's so, I mean, even school pushes kids to spend their life sitting in front of a screen. Yeah. Everything, everything seems to push them in that direction. Just shut down, turn off, watch a screen to spend two weeks together, watching him work his butt off, running around, seeing stuff, fully engaged, all five senses working all the time. Really fun, really fun. And who knows, who knows what the impact will be, but. Yeah, I bet again, it's that, it's that stone in the pond. You don't know what those ripples are going to be, but I can guarantee you, he will never forget it. He will never forget it. Um, I, so my other question before we wrap up here is I'm so curious, uh, just, you know, you traveled internationally and all of us are sort of still like, Ooh, how, how do we do that? Is that possible? And oh, how yeah. is it scary? And I'm just so curious when you went outside the country, how was COVID and the interaction with that? And I'm so, okay. I want to hear about that. Okay. So, um, Kenya, Kenya's really struggling with COVID. They, while we were there, they actually shut everything down even more. Like we got, we got alerts that whole regions of Kenya, you know, no, no public gatherings, all restaurants closed, all that stuff. Uh, so Kenya's bad. And actually the week before we left, the state department took it from like level three, don't go, which is basically only go if you absolutely have to, to level four, which is under no circumstances, do we recommend that you go? There's, um, terrorism there's covid and there's um just general you know beware of thieves that kind of thing so there's you know state department told us not to go basically and um i was like whatever uh travel a ton once i get there and of course it was nothing i mean it was nothing we were we were so it was so easy and you know but part of it was we were working with people we you know we we could navigate really easily because we were partnering with nationals and yeah so that makes a huge difference um i want it i anybody traveling this is just so a week before we left i think a week before we left a buddy of mine david austin is like oh i got i got a friend who 
who runs a nonprofit in Kenya. Let's all go have lunch. And he set up this lunch. We got together. We had lunch. And I was thinking, you know, I travel a lot. I'm kind of a seasoned guy. So I wasn't that. I was like, yeah, sure. I'll meet your friend. I wasn't that into it. Sit down. I'm just asking guy questions. Oh, you know, so how's this in Kenya? And how's that in Kenya? And I'm just kind of like, this, this is fun. This oh, is just fun. I don't need it was my attitude. Wrong. The guy's like, oh, by the way, have you gone on the, the Kenyan minister of, of health website and registered and gotten your QR code? And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, they won't let you in the country unless you have like a piece of paper with a QR code that shows that you are registered with the minister of health of Kenya. And you have to, you have to show an official document or they will not let you into the country. And I was like, good tip. Let me write that one down, you know, and, and then. So make sure you, you know, follow all the links to things you need to know before you go. And that one wasn't, I hadn't seen that one that I needed to do it. And certainly before you leave the country, almost for sure, you're going to have to get a COVID test, even if you've been vaccinated uh, within 72 hours leaving the country and you have to have a positive co uh, or a negative COVID test. When you travel, they won't even let you on the airplane. And so there are just some, you know, be smart about this stuff. But I mean, once we were in country, Kari, you, you would have thought it was just normal, except the wonder and beauty of there being no foreigners. It was oh. amazing. I loved it. There, <laughs> like we we did this, we did safari, and our our safari guide is like is like he's like yeah, you know, COVID's been really bad for Kenya. Normally, when you're going around Masai Mara. It's like a choo-choo train of, of, you know, Land Rovers, you know, that are driving around and looking for things. And there's like 10 cars in a row. We would go a half hour and not see another car. Wow. You know, driving out in the middle of nowhere, you know, with, with drafts walking past and the hillside covered with zebra and gazelle. And, you know, we're, we're seeing nobody. It was amazing. So I know it's bad for Kenya, but it's really good for Tony. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah, it's been interesting. I have a good friend who um, works with a nonprofit called Loom, and they work a lot with Ugandans. And she was, it was an interesting conversation because we had breakfast the other week. And, you know, it's this juxtaposition of here in the US, everything's opening up. I mean, what, two days, three days ago, Kate Brown here in Oregon dropped all the mandates for you know, everything's go, everything's a go. And, and it feels like things are normalizing. Yet I talked to, to my friend, Hannah, and she's talking to Ugandans every day and they are hitting, being hit so hard. Like literally every person, every national that she talked to had a family member, a close family member that had died of COVID. And it's just this, this juxtaposition of, yeah. of, of the two. And it's, 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 I think it's important to remember uh, I don't know. I, I feel like just this, again, this sort of privilege that we have to just forget about things. And um, I don't know, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to be the, the Debbie Downer and like, but, but this is still a global pandemic and we have the privilege to be able to get vaccinated and to move forward. And, and that is a huge, huge privilege. I'm, I'm just grateful for it. So great. Yeah. I'm walking into stores with, I mean, I don't think I've worn a mask since I've been home. Yeah. Maybe once or twice briefly, but yeah. I'm walking into Fred Meyer and um, that's a, like a department grocery store here in, here in Oregon. And um, 
the employees, a lot of the employees don't have masks on. It's so, yeah. it feels so good. I mean, yeah. I, just, I, I mean, I had, we had to wear masks quite a bit in Kenya. Sure. Was, sure. Yeah. Just to respect, even though we're yeah. vaccinated. Well, it's so good to catch up with you. Thanks. And, um, and I look forward to like getting together in a face-to-face -face party soon. Let's do something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm, I think you already have, but there's, there's a bunch of pictures of the trip to Kenya and on my Facebook page and stuff. I've been following. I've been following the Facebook People feed, which I don't normally, I'm not normally on Facebook. You're not a big Facebook person. I know, but I know, but you brought me I should Facebook. Instagram. I I'm such a dork, but I'm just, it's just easier to post like 10 pictures at a time mm -hmm. once a day on mm -hmm. Facebook than it is. And I'm old. You know, we all like you can old. do that on Instagram. We should have a little session. I'll, I'll I'll bring you up to speed, and then you can just push it right to Facebook. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Look at me being techie. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a. Hey, honey, you use, honey, you use the TikTok. My pocket watch has been going TikTok since I was a kid. Hey, I don't need this stuff. Okay. On that note, I think we should end the episode. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Kari. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for getting lost with us. Thanks for getting lost with us. Bye-bye. Thank you for walking with us. To stay connected, visit us at pilgrimlost.com. Please comment, share, and respond.